Uh, if I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron, uh, teaching pastor for Riverwood, and uh, it is hard to believe we are only two weeks out from Easter. Uh, I sure wish it would look more like Easter outside. Uh, Jake was right, this flash snow is a little over the top. Hopefully we're through it though, but we do live in Iowa. Uh, the last, uh, in every day of high school, I found myself at about 2.30 p.m., from between November and March, getting really, really nervous. My, my stomach would get really queasy. Uh, my, my knee would you know, start to bounce. I, I struggled to concentrate. And I, I constantly felt like I had to go pee. Anyone else ever struggle with nervous pee? I guess it's so annoying. The reason was that at 3.30 p.m., the bell would ring to end the school day. I would then have to walk down the hallway to the locker room where I would change my clothes and walk into hell. Now, most people called it wrestling practice, but I would go in and I just would get beat up. Like, it was the hardest thing I'd ever faced. And whenever I had a, like, dual tournament, a, a dual, you know, meet or a tournament on Saturday, like, ramp up the nervousness like four times. Like, it was awful. Now, I'm sure if I had ever, like, climbed Mount Everest, uh, the wrestling practice would be so easy. It'd be like the equivalent of taking a nap. But for me, in high school, this was the hardest thing I'd ever gone through. And, and so my body would begin to rebel an hour before I went into hell. This is a very typical response. It feels like our bodies begin to rebel and let us know, I don't like what I'm about to go into. Maybe it's because you know you're going into something really, really hard. Maybe it's because you're going into something brand new, like a new job. Maybe it's going and doing something really risky, like skydiving. Whatever it is, though, you say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go through this, but beforehand, your body starts to go through a lot of pain. Now, yes, there are these freaks out there who seem to be so cool, calm, and collected. Like, like nothing seems to rattle them. 30 seconds left in the Super Bowl? Ah, you know what? I'm going to walk on the field as though I'm walking my dog. You know, like, oh, I'm in the middle of a battle, bullets whizzing around? Hey, you want to hear a good joke? I'm just going to let you know, though, those people are rare. The large majority of us, though, end up having our bodies shut down, our mouths go dry, we feel like vomiting, or we even have to nervous pee. Today, we are going to see Jesus begin to suffer before the suffering. So often, when we think of Jesus' suffering during Holy Week, we think of the cross. We think of the flogging, we think of the crown of thorns. I mean, we think of all of this physical pain, but what we sometimes don't stop and realize is he went through a lot of emotional pain first. Today, we're going to take a look at that because I believe that as we study the pain he went through before the cross, it's an, going to actually inspire you and help you realize just how much he loves you. So if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to the book of Mark, chapter 14. 
Uh, if you are a first-time guest with us and do not have a Bible, we will be putting the scripture on the screen so that you can follow along with us. Um, but we just strongly encourage you to get a Bible. Now, that means if you already have a Bible on your phone, feel free to pull out your phone and use that. We are fine with digital Bibles here. Or if you would need to, download a Bible to your phone or stop by our resource table and pick up a paper copy. We've got two different translations out there. We'd love to give one of those to you, not just to use on Sundays, but to make that your Bible and use that every day. So that's the purpose why we, we bought high-quality Bibles, because we want it to last you for years. So that would be our gift to you. Um, we've been jumping all around Mark 14. Uh, we're going to go back today and catch a section that we skipped over earlier. Uh, we're going to be doing verses 32 through 42. Uh, so as we get ready to read those uh, 10, uh, 11 verses, uh, let's pray and then read. Heavenly Father, we uh, are coming to your scriptures to look at Jesus and I pray, Father, that you would help us to see what he went through for us, that, that what we would hear today would not only inspire us in the way we live our day-to-day -day lives, but would remind us of just what you went through, Jesus, for us because of your tremendous love. So, Father, we, many of us have had a, a good week. Some of us have had, had a really tough week. Uh, some of us were coming in with a little lack of sleep. Uh, some of us, we've got heavy things on our mind. But God, would you do what only you can do today? That you would help us to just with rapt attention see Jesus. So teach us, Father. Open our hearts and minds for what you have for us today. Let us not just go through the motions, listen to yet another sermon. Help us to connect with you. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, join me. Mark 14, starting at verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba. Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Because we've been jumping around Mark 14, I, I thought it would be good for us to just kind of recap what has happened in this chapter. But then I, I started realizing to really understand what's happening here in Mark 14, and even specifically these uh, 10, 11 verses, we actually should go back and kind of do a, a short little recap of the book of Mark. And, and to do that, I want you to imagine that you are one of the 12 disciples. Right? You have been hanging out with Jesus for the past three years. 
You have heard this man teach, and he teaches unlike anyone else. Like, he teaches with authority and wisdom and knowledge. But, but not only is his teaching incredible, just his very presence. I mean, this guy is just unflappable no matter what comes at him. He just goes through it with just this incredible presence and peace. And, and then there are the miracles. I mean, you have witnessed this guy feed 5,000 people with nothing but a little boy's lunch. You have witnessed him heal people. Like, the, the deaf can hear, the blind can see, the lame can walk. You've witnessed him exercise a demon out of someone. You saw him stand up in a boat that you were sure was going to get capsized by a storm in the Sea of Galilee, and all he did was say, peace, be still. And the storm stopped. But probably greatest of all was when you witnessed him help a little girl who had died come back to life. So maybe in the very beginning, you were a little unsure of who this Jesus of Nazareth was. I mean, he had been a carpenter. But you now know, without a doubt, this is the Messiah, the Son of God. And you are convinced he is going to set himself up as the king. And who knows? Maybe you are going to get to be part of his cabinet, part of his government. Maybe you're going to get a prominent position because you got to rub shoulders with this Jesus. I mean, you know that your kids, grandkids, neighbors, former high school classmates are going to ask you to tell them stories of Jesus because you were part of the inner circle. So when you get to the end of chapter 13, you are riding high. Like, you get to be with this man. So therefore, that means you're pretty great yourself. And that is why chapter 14 is so disconcerting. Four weeks ago, you're at a meal with Jesus, the other disciples at the home of Mary, Martha, uh, Lazarus, uh, th this house owned by Simon the, Pharisee, uh, the, the leper. And, and suddenly, during the meal, or, or right after, suddenly Mary takes this jar and she breaks it open, and inside is this aromatic oil, this nard, a perfume. And she pours it upon Jesus' head and feet. And Judas spoke up and said, well, we could have sold that for a whole lot of money. But Jesus said, hey, let her alone. She's preparing me for burial. But wait, this Messiah, this king, he's going to die soon and be buried? No, 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 no. I must have misheard him. But then three weeks ago, you're at the Passover meal. And, and suddenly during this very traditional Jewish meal that you have celebrated ever since you were a little kid, suddenly Jesus takes one of the cups and says, this is my blood. As though to say, he's the lamb that was killed back in Egypt, that was used to protect the firstborns so that they could be brought out of Egypt. Again, he's talking about death. Well, then last week, as, as you and the disciples are on your way to the Mount of Olives right after the Passover meal, you hear Jesus tell all of you, you are going to abandon him that very night. What? No, no I would never abandon this man. This is the Messiah. Like, he's going to be a great king. I get to be with him. I would never abandon this guy. In fact, I'm going to stay with him to the very end, even if it means my death. But now you get there in verse 32 to the Mount of Olives 
You enter into the Garden of Gethsemane, and suddenly Jesus, this great Messiah, says, hey, hey, guys, why don't you sit here and pray? And then he calls James, John, and Peter to himself, says, guys, we're going to go over here. And as Jesus turns, you suddenly see on his face, for the very first time, worry. You see concern. You see someone in turmoil. He is troubled. And as he turns, you overhear him as he's walking away, saying, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. What in the world is going on? This is the greatest man to have ever lived, and now he's troubled? Like when the Jewish leaders were trying to trap him with, with trick questions in chapter 12, he was completely unflappable. Now they're nowhere around. It's only us. And, and Jesus is, is more troubled than ever before. I mean, this dude stood up in a boat and calmed a storm with nothing but a word. Why can't he seem to calm the storm that is swirling within? What is going on? In two weeks, at the Good Friday service that Jake told us about, Matt Miller from Life Church is going to walk us through the story of the cross. We're going to hear through our, our, we're going to be taken to Jerusalem in our mind's eye, and we're going to see Jesus flogged. We're going to see a crown of thorns jabbed upon his head. We're going to see the nails go through the wrist. We're going to see him hanging there naked. It's going to be brutal. And Jesus knows exactly what's coming. That is why the suffering didn't just start with the first whip across the back. His suffering starts right here, right now, in the garden. So what I want to do today is I, I just want us to look a little bit at this pain and suffering that Jesus went through, and, and then uh, we're going to just talk about a couple of like, implications, a couple of things that we should draw out of the story. So first, let's, let's look at some of the pain that he went through. Sometimes we, we are in turmoil because of the unknown. Like, we don't know what the new job will look like. We don't know what it will look like now that he or she has chosen to leave our life. We don't know what it will look like when that loved one has passed away. We don't know what it will look like to face cancer or whatever. And so the unknown causes this anxiety, this turmoil. That is not what is going on with Jesus. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The truth is, Jesus knows exactly what is going to happen down to the detail. But, but, but how is that possible? How can anyone know the future at that level? Well, the Old Testament prophets have been telling the Jews for centuries what was going to happen. For instance, in Isaiah 53, it says that this Messiah begins to describe him in these poetical terms, that this Messiah will be pierced for our transgressions. Now, keep in mind, this was written five, six hundred years before the Romans ever perfected crucifixion. And yet, it uses the word that he will be pierced. Isaiah 53 also goes on to say that he will be like a lamb led to slaughter. When you join us on Good Friday and you hear Matt share the story, you will realize he was slaughtered. And just like that lamb back in uh, the Passover, that lamb that gave its life so that its blood could be painted over the doorway so that when the angel of death came through, it would realize something has already died here and then the firstborn could live. That, that's Jesus. Oh, how about in Numbers 21? In Numbers 21, 
There are these poisonous snakes that are coming into the camp and biting the people, causing them to feel absolutely horrible and awful. And so God has Moses erect a bronze serpent up on a staff, on a stake, and raise it up high in the middle of camp so that if someone gets bit by one of these snakes, all they have to do is look up at the serpent, trust that God can heal them, and they will be healed. Jesus later says that actually points to him, that he would also be raised up, meaning he would be raised up on a cross, and anyone who looks to him would be healed spiritually. I I could go on. Over and over and over through the Old Testament, the prophets have been saying, here's what's going to happen to the Messiah. And Jesus, as God the Son, who helped write these, breathe these words out through these human authors, was writing about what he knew was going to take place. That's why here in the book of Mark, we've seen three times Jesus say, here's what's going to happen. We saw it once in chapter 8, once in chapter 9, and we saw it a third time in chapter 10. And in chapter 10, he doesn't just say, I'm going to be arrested, tried, and killed. In chapter 10, he actually goes on and says, I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be mocked. He even says, I'm going to be spit upon. Like he knew it down to the detail, down to the very saliva, what was going to happen. And that complete knowledge began to weigh on him. But there's something more going on. It isn't just the knowledge of what he's going to go through physically. He also has knowledge of what is going to be happening on a deeper spiritual level. The Apostle Paul gives us a glimpse of some of what was happening to Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, he writes, For our sake... He, meaning God, made him, meaning Jesus. So for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, just as a sacrificial lamb had never sinned, but yet was treated as if it had, Jesus, who had never sinned, became almost like the embodiment of sin so that the wrath of God would come against sin rather than against us, the actual sinners. This is why Peter, in his first epistle, says in 1 Peter 2.24 that Jesus bore our sins in his body. So there's more going on here than just whips and thorns and nails. There's something at a deeper spiritual level. Jesus is bearing the sin of of the world. So it's not just physical. This is also emotional. This is mental. This is spiritual. This is heavy. So now you see why Jesus would say, I am very sorrowful, even to the point of death. It's why you see him in the garden as he pulls you know, Peter, James, and John aside You see him go a little further, and it says that he falls to the ground. His face is in the dirt. And we hear him say in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Mark 14, verse 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Jesus is going through so much pain, so much suffering, that it is beginning to affect him physically ever before He's arrested, and all of the events of the cross take place. 
In fact, Luke, who uh, by background was a medical doctor, in his uh, gospel, he even throws in this little tidbit, this little deal of Jesus in the the Garden of Gethsemane in in Luke 22, verse 44. He says that being in agony, he, Jesus, prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, it did not say he sweat, that his sweat was blood. It, It said that it became like blood. So it either means that his sweat became so thick and heavy that it, if you, from a distance in the dark at night, it would appear he's, he's sweating blood, or he actually was suffering a rare condition known as hematidrosis. Hematidrosis is when the blood vessels in your forehead rupture from stress, and the blood then seeps into your sweat glands, tinging your sweat red, making it look like you are sweating blood. And if that's the case, that reveals just how stressed Jesus was, knowing exactly what was going to take place physically, but also knowing what was going to be taking place spiritually. So no wonder Jesus is saying, remove this cup from me. What is this cup? Remember, three weeks ago when we studied the Passover, in the traditional Jewish Passover meal, there are four cups. Two were uh, uh, drank before the main course, and two were drank after. In Luke 22, earlier in the chapter, he tells us that it's one of the cups after the meal that Jesus holds and says, this is my blood. The two cups after the meal were known as the cup of redemption and the cup of praise or consummation. They were to be reminders to the Jewish people that God had redeemed their ancestors, the ancient Israelites, out of slavery to Egypt and had made them his, this consummation And they were now together again, and this should lead them to praise. But when Jesus holds that cup and says, this is my blood, suddenly it's not just about God bringing ancient Israelites out of Egypt. This is now him saying, this is my blood to bring you out of slavery to sin, to make you mine again, and that should lead us to praise. But while that's good news for us, That was horrible news for Jesus because it meant it was going to cost him everything. That same chapter, Isaiah 53, it says that by his stripes we are healed. Well, it's the stripes of the flogging across his back that brought us our spiritual healing. It was his agony that brings us joy. It's his death that brings us life. So, He went through hell to give us heaven. And he knew what he was going to face. That is why we see him falling on the ground with a soul that is so sorrowful it's even to the point of death. And he's saying, Father, remove this cup of redemption from me because the cost is so high. That's the pain that Jesus was facing in the garden. That is what is happening before Judas ever shows up. But there's a couple things I think we need to realize and see in this. First, I think we need to see that this means Jesus was fully human. Orthodox Christianity has affirmed the, the divinity of Christ. But sometimes people have thought that Jesus was like, Yeah, he's God, but he's like 50% God and 50% 
man. I mean, no, like I'm not 33% dad, 33% husband, 33% pastor, and I don't know, 1% sports fan. Like, no, you, you know, oh yeah, he's a husband. Oh yeah, and he's a father. Oh, and he's a pastor. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. I point this out because I think sometimes we fall for the myth that even though he was fully man, that maybe he like dipped over into his godness. Like maybe his divinity was like a little bit of spiritual morphine that kind of softened the blow of all of this so that he could persevere through this. No. Jesus suffered fully as a human. Yeah, he was fully God. But he did not use that godness to help him through this. In fact, when Jesus is on the cross, one of the soldiers takes a sponge, dips it in this gall, this wine, puts it on the end of a stake, and holds it up to Jesus because he said, I'm thirsty. So let's give him a drink. But as soon as drink, Jesus tasted it, he realized what it was and realizes that it would probably help to numb the pain just a little bit. And he spit it out and he turned his head. He would not drink it because he knew he had to suffer this to the full. And so Jesus suffered this as a human. He, he went through it and understood all the pain. But then that leads to the second point. And that is we need to see that he persevered even within his humanity. And, and we need to begin to discover why and how he was able to persevere. Um, when we were living in Kansas City, uh, there came a, a little bit of a crisis point. I knew I was called to church planning. I thought it was called to Iowa, but we were not able to be finding a place. And through some advice, I, I just was told, Aaron, you, you probably need to take a week to just fast and pray and, and, and figure out what God's doing. And so I, I ended up getting uh, this book that one of the, their pieces of advice was that God works in your life in ways to prepare you for things. And so one of the things I began to see was the theme of perseverance. I, I saw how I wasn't really a very good wrestler, but I persevered through the sport. I, I'm really not that great of a musician, and yet I persevered to get a music degree. And so I started to sense that God was calling me to church plant and that I could persevere and trust him. But, but I don't tell that story to say I'm some sort of hero. Because as I have looked at my life, I've seen how there are a number of times where I haven't persevered and I've actually sought to escape. Like the lame excuses I come up with sometimes to not go and do my workout or the conversations that I've avoided because I want someone to like me or how when I see the mountain of to-do that I have, I, I just find myself running and hiding in entertainment. Thankfully, Jesus did not pull an errand. He, he, he did not suddenly go, it, it's too much, I, I'm looking for a bar. He didn't suddenly sit up and go, you know what, I never did go back to Egypt and see where I spent the first two years of my life. Now seems like a great time for a vacation. He didn't even pull out his phone and distract himself with Wordle. He stayed. He persevered. Now, you're probably thinking, I'm, I'm beginning to say, so what you need to do is live like Jesus and persevere. And, and I don't think that's a bad message, statement, but it's incomplete. 
Because my fear is if you just walk out of here inspired to, all right, I'm going to go persevere. I'm going to persevere through my sport. I'm going to persevere through school. I'm going to persevere through work. I'm going to persevere through that you know, weight loss program. I'm going to persevere in that relationship. I'm going to go through this hard thing, and I'm going to come through it. But what probably will happen is you'll make it a day. Maybe you'll, you'll go a week. Maybe you'll be way more impressive than me and go a month. Maybe you could make it a whole year, but eventually a moment will come where you will be so tired, so worn out because you've been persevering to persevering to persevering, you're just going to give up. And now I've helped you none. But, but let's even say that you are the world's most perseverant person to have ever lived since Jesus. That you walk out of here, you log off, and you are going to persevere to the very end. And you do it. But if your perseverance does not lead you to Christ, you've gained nothing in light of eternity. So that's why I don't think I can just say, so go and live like Jesus and persevere. I, I think there's something more that God would have for us today. And so I, I want us to go and look, okay, so how did Jesus persevere in his full humanity? Because we're hearing his humanness. We're hearing him say, God, remove this cup from me. So what was it that helped him to stay? Well, his prayer reveals it. If your Bible's still open there to Mark 14, right there in that verse 36, right after saying, remove this cup from me, he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. In other words, his father is what carried him through. His relationship with God the Father. You need to remember, Jesus as God the Son, is part of the Trinity. Christians believe there's only one God, but he reveals himself in these three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. However, it's not this one God who at times is the Father and at other times is the Son and is at other times the Spirit. No, simultaneously, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all the time. Now, the Father is not the Son, the Son's not the Spirit, the Spirit's not the Father, and yet they're one. They're one substance, they're of one mind, they're of one heart, they're of one purpose, so Jesus was there when they together decided, let's create man. It was not the Father saying, okay, G Jesus, Holy Spirit, come here. Got this great idea. Mankind, let's vote. No, they, they together, that's why we see in, in Genesis 124, it says, let us make man in our image. But as they made that decision, they knew exactly what it meant. It meant that this humanity, these humans, would take that image of God, the will, the personality, the intellect, and use it to rebel against him. And they also knew that the penalty for such a grave sin was death. I mean, it was treason to the utmost. But as a creative God who is abounding in love, he's going to create this person in his image. His love is going to abound for them. And so they make the decision right then and there before they ever breathed into Adam. We'll die for them. And you've been seeing it through the Old Testament. These whispers that God would come and give his life so that humans would be made free. So Jesus was there. He made the decision. He knew what was going to happen. And because he's part of the Godhead, because he has this relationship with God, because he knows what the purpose of all of this is, not my will, not my wants and desires 
is a human, even though I know what is ahead, not my will be done, but yours. You see, God had, uh, Jesus is not the only sinless person to have ever lived on earth. There was one other, Adam. When God put Adam on this earth, created him and breathed into him, Adam at that moment was sinless. And yet it was in a garden, he gave in to temptation and allowed sin to enter God's created order and destroy the image within us. But now here you have the only other sinless person to have ever lived, once again in a garden, facing temptation, but instead of this time giving in to the temptation to run, get out of there and remove this cup from me, he stays because of his relationship with his father. This is what we planned. This is what is right. This is what is needed. But there's another thing that carried Jesus through. It wasn't just his relationship with the father. There was one other, and we see it in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, verse 2, the second half of it says that for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame. All right, so for the joy that was set before him. So there was some sort of joy that was dangling in front of him that allowed him to go through this hell. If you've ever sought to lose weight, you understand this to some degree. Like, it's not comfortable to change your eating patterns and habits. There are certain foods you love, and now you're saying, I, to lose weight, I can't eat those anymore, or at least at that level. You, you, most people, when they go to lose weight, they, they go and begin this exercise program. It can become very, very uncomfortable. And yet, the reason you go through it is for the joy of seeing that number drop. It's for the joy of seeing your body get into the shape you would prefer it to be in. It's the joy of knowing your cholesterol is dropping and other health benefits are rising. You want that joy so you're willing to go through the hard stuff to get it. So what was Jesus' joy? What was set before him that would help him to endure through all of it? You. You were the joy that was set before Jesus. As God the Son, part of the Trinity, he created you. His image is in you. But when sin entered into the world, distorting the image of God within you, it was like sin snatched you away. But because his image is on you, his brand is upon you, you belong to him. He loves you. And so he's jealous for you and he wanted to bring you back from sin. But the penalty of sin, the ransom was death. And so he went and paid it for us to bring us back. You are his joy. And that is why he went through the garden and he went through the cross so that he could have you. So his anchor was his father. He fixed his eyes upon you. You were his joy, and all of that is what carried him through. So when it comes to perseverance, we need to ask ourselves then, where have we affixed our eyes? What is our joy? You see, all of us have something. Many of us, it's, it's ourselves. Some of us, it's, it's another person, a, a spouse or, or a child. Everything we do is, is for them. So, some of us, it, it, it may be a certain achievement. We want to achieve a certain goal or, you know, like get a certain job position or make a certain amount of money. That's our goal. And so that's what we cling to. That's what we hope for. And everything goes to that. And so we'll go through whatever to get that. Some of us, it's a feeling. We keep giving in to certain addictions just to get that certain feeling. 
Because that, that's our goal, to feel that way. As your friend and your pastor, what I long for you is that your joy would be Jesus. You would affix your eyes upon him. And I don't say that because we're in church. I don't say it because I'm a pastor and I'm paid to say that. I say it because that's what I believe God wants for you. Because it's right there in that exact same passage we just looked at. Hebrews 12. After telling us that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, he tells us that we are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. All right, so run through life, persevere. We are to run the race that is, uh, with endurance that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Affixing our eyes upon him. And that can carry us through school. That can carry us through the health crisis. That can carry us through the, the, the rough relationship. That can carry us through the hurts. That can carry us through the pain. When we affix our eyes upon Jesus, that's the complete perseverance. Don't just go and try and do it on your own. Go with him affixed in your sight. And then watch him do in you things you never imagined. And you will find yourself coming through some incredible things. And on the other side will be joy. I can think of no better way today for us to affix our eyes on Jesus than to go to the communion elements. Jesus Christ died on that cross giving his body. His blood was shed so that we could find life. If you are a first-time guest with us, we celebrate an open communion table, meaning if you are a follower of Jesus, this table is open to you. But if you're a first-time guest and you are not a follower of Christ, or even if you're not a first-time guest, maybe you've been a part of Riverwood, but if you're honest with yourself and you realize that I don't believe this story, I'm going to just ask that you very respectfully not go to these communion elements. Instead, I want you to deal with God. If it is true that Jesus went through such pain and suffering for you, he can give his life for you. He now wants you to give your life to him. He loves you. He wants to restore his image within you. He wants to help you come to a place where you will live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. And so instead of trying to come to some bread and, and juice, may you come to Jesus. May you bow before his throne as we sing. May you stay right there in your seat. May you kneel down on the ground. May you give all of you to him. And may today become your spiritual birthday. But if you are a follower of Jesus, will you come? Would you come and realize that Jesus persevered for you? And he did it as a human. This isn't just God in his power doing something miraculous. This is Jesus as a human representing you and me, dying our death to give us his life. And so may this cup be a cup of celebration. May it be a cup of praise. May it be a cup of consummation where you are reminded that because Jesus has redeemed you out of sin, you are now in relationship with God. So may this cup be an opportunity for us to thank Jesus, to confess any sins that we have committed, and to rejoice that he has forgiven us of those sins and allows us into a relationship with him. So Heavenly Father, as we come to the table, as we remember this last supper, 
As we see you, Jesus, taking the bread of affliction and breaking it, saying, this is your body. As we see you holding up that goblet of wine, saying, this cup of redemption is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins to establish a new covenant. May we do this now in remembrance, in celebration, in worship of you, Jesus the one who gave it all, God the Son taking on human flesh, living a sinless life, but going and dying the death we should have died. So God, in these next holy moments, may you be glorified. May you reach into our hearts and souls and do what you need to do. God, if there is unconfessed sin, would you help us to deal with that? If there are people that have hurt us, help us to be like you and to forgive them. If there are things going on that we have ignored, that we're running to our phones or to our Netflix or, or to food or, or, or whatever, help us, God, to not run. Instead, help us right now to stay, to sit, to fall onto the ground, to pray and persevere so that you get the glory and we get the joy that was set before us. Jesus, be our joy today. Be our everything. Help us to worship you fully as we do this now in remembrance of you.